This episode of the Busted Wide Open podcast is brought to you by Blueberry. Blueberry offers the best media hosting, accurate listening stats, and their all-new PowerPress Deluxe sites, a no-setup WordPress website for your podcast with all the necessary links to share your show with the world built right in. If you currently produce a podcast and are looking for a better media host or looking to start a new one from scratch, head over to orbitaljigsaw.com forward slash BWO and sign up for the best media hosting and a PowerPress Deluxe site to get your first month absolutely free. That's orbitaljigsaw.com forward slash BWO, or just use the promo code BWO at checkout for your first month free. And with that said, enjoy the show. You're listening to the Busted Wide Open Podcast, dropping the elbow on the hottest topics in sports entertainment and the world of professional wrestling with your hosts, Nick Howell and Sir Ian Dangerous. Coming to you from the Orbital Jigsaw Network Arena in sunny Southern California. Welcome back to the Busted Wide Open Podcast. If you're joining us for the first time, we are glad to have you on board for episode number 37. I'm Nick Howell. And I am Sir Ian Dangerous, and we just got done watching one hell of a weekend of pay-per-views thanks to WWE. Not only do we have NXT TakeOver War Games... You forgot the Houston. Uh, whatever. It was, NXT, it was war games to me. That's all that mattered. And Sorry, Houston. But we also had Survivor Series. Survivor Series. Yes. Ah, boy, there's a lot to talk about, too, because both of these shows were packed with stuff. But before we get into the shows, I want to really quickly say thank you for joining us on our podcast. Uh, if you could, please hit the subscribe button. Leave us a review. Give us five stars. Whatever you feel like. Let us know how we're doing. Uh, let us know what you think of the show. And if you have any constructive feedbacks, we love to make it more the kind of show that you want to hear. Absolutely. And come join us over on Facebook in the Busted Wide Open discussion group where uh, us, as well as a bunch of other listeners, hang out, talk about wrestling, share some memes, some hot news stories as they come out. All kinds of good times happening over there. You can also hit us up on Twitter at BWO Podcast. You'll find us live tweeting a lot of the weekly shows that happen as well as the pay-per-views as they go on. So we have a lot of fun doing that. We also have a merch store, orbitaljigsaw.com slash store. Head over there. You can find t-shirts and hoodies and phone cases, all kinds of good stuff. Sexy tank tops. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And last but certainly not least, head over to patreon.com slash BWO. Throw a couple of bucks in the tip jar. Sign up to do your very own shoot promo here on the show with myself and Ian. But Ian, we got a lot to talk about. We need to get going here. We do, man. I mean, we have to talk about if the shows lived up to the extended build because both of them had huge builds leading up to them. Survivor Series had like a month. Takeover obviously is every three months. Uh, we got to talk about if the War Games delivered. You know, that came back after a couple of decades. We've never haven't seen a War Games match since what the '90s. I don't think it's a little more than a month they uh, had to build for that one. Yeah, and, and <laughs> I wanted to talk about if that delivered. We also had to talk about if the Survivor Series matches delivered the women's match and the men's match, plus all the rest of the things that were on the card. And given the chaos in the last couple of weeks of the build for Survivor Series, did everything pan out? Did all of the crazy last minute changes in the matches and all the crazy last minute title changes all of the rest of it did it come together or not mm. so i mean let's get right into it and discuss let's go talk about survivor series well unfortunately before we get into the epicness that was survivor series at least the main show we have to talk about what went on beforehand on the pre-show uh, uh, the pre apparently elias and matt hardy had a match <laughs> where feuds go to die yes it's, 
what or I don't even know if this is a feud. This wasn't even what this was just like a time fill, I think. Elias and Matt Hardy. I don't think they had anything going before this. It just kind of came out of nowhere and didn't really mean much. Elias beat Matt Hardy. That's pretty much all there is to say. Do you think this is just checking a box off that they have to perform within their contract? Uh, yeah, I think X Matt, number of Matt Hardy's got to earn that paycheck yeah. instead of Elias. <laughs> so this was just like, hey guys, go have a match. Right. You know, it wasn't it wasn't very long. It wasn't very exciting. It was just what it was, and and that's that. That being said, we also had a match which I thought was. Strange that was on the pre-show, but also I'm glad these guys got some time. And that was Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn randomly versus Brizango. Always nice to see Brizango have a match uh, as a big fan of, of the Fashion Files and Fandango and Tyler Breeze as we are here on the Busted Wide Open podcast. Yes, It was nice to see that. Uh, I had a second of going, oh no, Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn are on the pre-show. What's happened to them? What's happened to their feud, to their angle? And then went, oh, you know, no, this is this will be okay. This is actually, I think, in some ways in kayfabe yeah. that they've been relegated to the pre-show after all of the shenanigans that they've had on the show the last few weeks and the fact that they've pissed off Shane McMahon. So I'm actually glad that they got anything yeah. at this point, but it did make sense in terms of the plot why they were on the pre-show. And it was an entertaining match, too. It was a fine match. Well, I, I, I think this solidified for me that um, we called, we made our picks last week on the uh, preview show. Be sure and go check that out so you can play along with us. But I think we've been in limbo about whether or not this was a work coming from Owens and, and Zane, starting with like the Euro getting kicked off the European tour and all that stuff. And I think we're starting to see that this whole build up to that is is really what that was all about, was just to really solidify them as kind of these heel spoilers. The outsiders, the, I, w- I want to say the outsiders, but that name is taken. Yeah. <laughs> but it's but no, but here's the thing is it might have been something where it was a shoot that was worked into the program that they were already working yeah. and we'll never really know. But the fact of the matter is their whole angle is still going gangbusters. Uh, they did play a part later, but we'll get into that. Uh, we also have to talk about Enzo versus Kalisto. We have to. Well, I mean, we should just to be professional. Check the box. Check the box. Uh, Enzo versus Kalisto happened. There was the, a match for the cruiserweight championship. I don't know why this was on survivor series other than they wanted to have the cruiserweight championship on there, which has been decreasing in luster. Ever since Enzo has kind of come off the the high that was him initially winning the cruiserweight championship and kind of drawing attention and eyes to the division, and now it's just like an endless cycle of him fighting Kalisto. Which Jesus Christ, can we can we bring up uh, Kenta? Can we bring up Hideo Itami to the division already and just have him whoop the crap out of Enzo? Or can we finally figure out what's going on with Neville? Because I haven't heard he's been granted his release yet. I don't think anyone has. Right. So we still don't know if that is a worked shoot or what's going on with Neville. Uh, there are rumors that they're talking to him and they might have worked something out. But how great would that angle be as Neville comes back after everyone thinks he's gone and comes back and destroys Enzo and takes over the division again or perhaps shows up on the main roster? Who knows? That's the only thing I can say about this match. What if he just wanted a month things off? Things that weren't about this match. What if he just wanted a month off and this is how they worked it in? I don't know. Maybe. And then Neville just sneaks, comes back in. It's a huge surprise. Oh my God, he's back. Yeah, but maybe it's, you know, I don't, maybe it's one of those things where he, he was legitimately pissed, but they're able to negotiate with him because they realize his value. Uh, because dear God, that guy has a ton of value and he could go on the indies and make scads of money. Uh, but maybe they have got plans. Maybe I don't know. We'll find out. Fingers crossed. Because dear God, this match being on the preview show or the, or the pre-show was 
<laughs> well, I said a phrase uh, week, last week or a week before where I, I used the word, phrase diminishing returns. Yep. And I feel like Enzo is starting to hit some diminishing returns. People are starting to care a little bit less that Enzo Amore is kind of running the, the cruiserweight division. So where do they go from here? This is the interesting thing that we could talk for an hour about what's going on in the cruiserweight division, but I, oh, nobody's God. really getting a push. No one would download that episode if we did, well, dude. That's fair. No one would download I that episode. Know. I think you'd be surprised. I would be shocked. But you know, <laughs> let's let's actually get out of the the debacle that was the cruiserweight division yes. and go on to the main show here. And the main show started with a, a match that shocked me because when was the last time you saw Roman Reigns pull a curtain? It was the Shield versus the New Day to open the show, and this was a match that you know, honestly. The more I thought about it, the more excited I was for it. Me this too. is two of the most over groups in WWE. We talk about how there's not a lot of stables anymore, and like these days, stables have been reduced to three people. These are the two of the two biggest stables of the last seven years, yeah. five years at least, right? Like this is this was a big deal. They finally had a match, and mm, honestly, it didn't live up to my lofty expectations. But it wasn't bad. After after all the new days new day and Usos matches, I was ready for a barn burner, and it, it was not that. No, but it was it was a little sloppy, but it was it was watchable. It was fine. It was it was what I expected it to be in a three on three tag match like this with people that have crazy amounts of moves and stuff. It's mostly a spot fest to everybody to get all their stuff in, and then you have one big kind of finish at the end. And, you know, yeah, Shield ended up coming out victorious. And yeah, super cerebrous, double, triple powerbomb. Right. You could have guessed that coming out. I was shocked at how messy they were at the start. It seemed like they weren't on the same page or like someone forgot where they were supposed to be a couple of times. And also the camera was terrible during this match. It was missing a bunch of spots and didn't know where to go. But, uh, yeah, so it was a rough start. But at the same time, you know, it, they did pull it out. They did pull out a relatively entertaining match. From what started off pretty off. Did you notice Roman Reigns getting cheers? I noticed him getting cheers. I, I've been noticing him getting cheers since he's been back with the shield. Yep. You know what? Take the shield away from him and see how many cheers he gets. That's the thing. Is I, I This is my big issue with... Uh, we could get down this rabbit hole again. I'm only going to spend a couple <laughs> sentences on this. Uh, and we'll save this talk for later. But this is the problem with the experiment of putting him back with the shield. Is it is an experiment. Will this... Will these cheers last? Because when he still does stuff solo, he was getting booed. Yep. Right? But it was when he's doing stuff together with the shield, everyone's like, oh, I love I love the shield. Remember the shield? Remember the triple power bomb? Yeah. Yeah. yeah you too. Yeah. Sierra Hotel, all that stuff hits, and you're like, oh, I love the shield. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't work for me anymore, man. I'm like, okay, cool. It's these three guys. The uh, Pirates of Justice! <sighs> we'll see. If, if When they take away the shield, uh, and we could speculate about how they'll do that, we'll do that at another time. Yeah. Because I think there's lots of ways they could break out the shield again. But, I don't think we're done seeing them for quite some time. Oh, no. They're going to be around probably all the way to WrestleMania. They'll be, they'll be in, each, in each other's pastures for a few more months yeah. yet. Yeah, they, they think they're going to try and get as much shine on Roman from the Shield as they can for a while. And honestly, this loss, I don't think, really hurts the New Day at all either. This was just like a, kind of an entertaining fantasy match that it was fun to see. Well, let's look, go back to the pre-show real quick. We both called Enzo to win that one. We both called the Shield to win that one. So currently, we're tied. Currently, we're tied. All right. Well, let's move on and talk about the women's five-on-five elimination match. Well, really quickly, before we actually talk okay. about the match, I want to talk about a little bit they had before that, which was Stephanie McMahon with the five Raw girls in the back. Oh, yeah. Putting herself over again and making her sound like she was the number one chick on raw i'm so sick of this dude i'm so like stephanie mcmahon 
needs to just stop putting herself over at the expense of everybody else. And I know that this is, I mean, I'm basically, I'm preaching to the choir here. I don't think there's anyone who's like, no, I thought the Stephanie bit was good. I like Stephanie McMahon. I think there's some people who are like, you're just getting worked by a good heel. I'm like, no, 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 no. There's being worked by a good heel and there's being annoyed at storyline presentation. And the, and the fact that this is a character that I'm supposed to hate, but she is self aggrandizing herself behind the scenes to make herself look better. It's not it, if this is a, you know you could argue this non traditional heel work, but the, frankly, it's not get it's 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 the kind of heat that you don't want. We've talked about this before. Yeah, you know what I mean. Where there's there's good heat. There's the kind of heat where you're just you hate that person. You want to see them get them their comeuppance, and then there's the X Pac heat, like the, the go away heat like i don't want to watch you i want to turn the channel when you're on you want to make you want to be compelling as a heel you want to make me you want to make me want to watch you get your ass kicked i don't want to see stephanie get her ass kicked i wanted her to go away and this was just another example of that yeah i didn't know how much i didn't miss her until she started coming back after the invasion Mm -hmm. the smackdown invasion on raw two weeks ago, three weeks ago, I, I didn't realize just how much I didn't miss her. Yeah. And it was one of those things where, oh, God, this again? It's this, And it's just been continuing on and on week after week since she's come back. It's cringeworthy. Yeah. And we'll get, in, we'll get into Triple H and how he puts himself over later in this show, which is definitely a topic of conversation that we have to have. Yes. But I will take him and the way he puts himself over over the way she puts herself over any day of the week. Moving on to the match, though, before we go down this road any further the the match was actually except for a couple of kind of botchy sloppy parts i liked this match a lot me too i thought it was well written i thought there was a lot of good plot points the only issue i had was that preceding this i think was proceedings or just after this, there was a, pro, a promo for the wwe network that was longer than the amount of time that becky lynch was in this match <laughs> Just so we came back from the promo video package and uh, Becky Lynch was already out. Uh, no, it was if you, if you take the time from the bell to when Becky Lynch gets eliminated. Yeah, that's how it's, the promo oh was God. longer than that time. So that that was a little disappointing. You know, I mean, obviously someone's got to go out first, but I would have liked to see a little more action from Becky Lynch as someone who I think should get more time. Instead, we got a ton of Tamina, a ton of Natalia, which made sense with the finish. They were the two last women from SmackDown Live at the end of the whole thing, and they had to face off against the last woman left from Raw, which mm. was Oscar. Oscar. And we called this, I believe it was last week on our preview or maybe the week before, but we said as a kind of a final thing to get Oscar over, she needed to get back to killing people. And I think this was a fantastic way, almost a la Dolph Ziggler going three on one underdog uh, two years ago at Survivor Series. This was a great way to have her come out victorious at the top uh, of this match. And I, I loved the way that it finished. No, I, Amen. Me too. And I thought that this was a great way to get Asuka back on track and, and make her look like a killer, like someone who could ha- be against these odds and come out on top. And it was also smart to have her against two heels because then she gets that you know, kind of baby face comeback pop yep. and the audience, you know, she gets really over with the audience and they were right behind her as she murdered these women at the end of this match uh, to talk about the rest of the match real quick, though. There was a bunch of moments that I was surprised. I, I hadn't expected. I hadn't thought about uh, Nia Jackson, Tamina in the ring together. I didn't realize that this was something that I was going to salivate over until they got in the ring and started staring each other down. And I was like, okay, this is cool. And then they started getting physical and it was even cooler. These two big girls like really going at it. 
And the moment when I went, I went from this is cool to this is awesome uh, to steal a horrible chant that's used too much from in the in the crowd. This is awesome was when they started headbutting each other. Yes. And if there's one thing I love in the history of wrestling, it's two Samoans trying to headbutt each other down. <laughs> yes. Because, you know, that's one of the old rules of wrestling. You can't headbutt a Samoan. Their head's always harder. Yes. Who can headbutt a Samoan? Another Samoan. So this was that was great. And then they got really physical and they were throwing each other around yes. too. I noticed that uh, there was a little bit of stiffness between Sasha and Natalia going on as well. Uh, it's a little bit of no selling, a little bit of like, looked like they were really hitting each other pretty hard. I think they needed it because it was really messy during the whole Naomi, Alicia Fox segment. That was really messy. I, there was, I wasn't sure if someone got tagged or not at one point. I, I couldn't tell if Alicia Fox got pinned or not. It, the whole thing was very messy and, and, and looked like there was a couple of botches in there. So I think that was their way of bringing the intensity back to the match, and it worked. It worked. It was a nice segment, and you know I haven't. I don't think I've that I can recall a time that Sasha Banks and Natty have actually been in the ring together on the main roster. I can't think of one, but it was so it was nice to see them actually go at it and go hard. Hmm. Wasn't Natalia on Raw before the shakeup? Didn't they have actually Sasha Banks was over on? I can't remember I can't, exactly. Oh god. <laughs> anyway, my brain is scrambled, especially after this uh, this pay per view this weekend. Uh, anything else to say about the women's match? Uh, for me, ultimately, it comes down to Asuka getting a much bigger push than she had been previously for the past couple of weeks since her debut at TLC. So I'm, I'm all on board the Asuka train at this point, and the sky's the limit for this girl. I can't wait to see how they book her between for the next six months because I think she's she might end up at WrestleMania getting the women's championship. I could see that happening. I, I think that is what should happen given the momentum that she came out of NXT with and the the legacy and the 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 caliber of presentation that she was given coming out of L, uh, NXT. And I think there was a lot of worry that when she came to the main roster, she wouldn't be presented well because right. they have a history of, of botching some big <laughs> NXT <laughs> people. Oh, excuse <laughs> me. Bobby Roode. Uh, Bailey. Uh, you know, there's a lot of times where they've screwed that up. So there was people worried about that. This was definitely a relief to yeah. see that the match was geared towards the ultimate story point of this match was Oscar's a monster. Yes. Period. Speaking of monsters, Baron Corbin. Baron Corbin had a match against The Miz. This was interesting. The build for this match was almost non-existent outside of social media. A couple of little jabs on Raw and SmackDown, but not really any build. And it was a weird setup. One of the most hated heels on SmackDown versus one of the most hated heels on Raw. Two guys who do their job at hit heel very well. Uh, Miz, arguably more popular with the fans because of his tenure with the company and also the quality of presentation that he gives. Yeah. You know, he's he's kind of got that face fire every once in a while, like the, the famous promo on Talking Smack with Daniel Bryan. It's a heel promo, but you can't help but get in his corner on it. That's And what's really interesting to me is that's how they presented Miz coming into this match. He was kind of the face yeah. coming into this. Baron Corbin was insulting his wife, and Miz shot back and said, don't you talk about my wife like that. And even during the match, Corbin goes over, and Maurice is standing there at ringside. He gets in Maurice's face, and Miz gets fired up about it. This was Miz almost being a face. And I think they should have actually pushed that a little bit more just for just for one night to make the match make more sense because I think the audience was still on the level of we don't know who to cheer for. We hate both these guys. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it made sense to have the Miz be a little faceish to give some dynamic to the match, but I don't think the audience quite got that. No, for me this this match was, you know, it was a lot of fun. I don't I didn't really give a lot of credence to the dynamic of heel heel or who was working face or whatever it was, but I was entertained. 
You know, it was it was it did what it said on the ten. I guess is the best way I would describe it. And I, it, what happened happened, and I, I don't think either one of them came away from this hurt in any way. I think they're both going to go back to their brands and continue to do exactly what they were doing beforehand. Yeah, I don't think that it made anyone. I mean, Miz can Miz at this point can lose every match and still be fine. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's we're we're conditioned to believe that Miz can lose and still. We are entertained by him. I think it was better for Baron Corbin to win. He definitely needed to get a little more shine after having some ups and downs over the last few months. So that he definitely needed that moment of kind of coming out on top and looking like a monster heel and beating Miz clean, even though he was selling his knee the entire match. I thought there was a couple of story points they could have made more clear. Yeah. the audience was definitely, I mean, half the audience was gone during this. This was like a piss break because I don't, <laughs> again, I don't think they understood what they were looking at coming into this. They're like, why do we care about this match? Well, I could sum it up with my reaction after the finish of the match. And it was basically, huh? Okay. <laughs> All right, then. That was so there we, that we had that. That happened. All right. Yeah, so, I, it, but it know. was it was entertaining. It was a good match. Uh, quick finish, but that's Baron Corbin, you know, and one end of days and we're done. Uh, real quick shout out though, Curtis Axel, by the way, doing some, some really the red, the red neck brace Yes, to show that he was from team Quality. raw. That's some good stuff. Was it, was it Bobby Heenan? Who had the neck brace back in the day? Oh, was it, uh, it was one of the Dudleys, wasn't it? It was big Dick Dudley. Always had the neck brace on. I don't remember. Announcer Dudley. Dudley. Yeah. I, I, that's, I think he's throwing back to that and I love it. Anyway, moving on. We got to talk about the Usos versus the bar, the tag champs from both brands. Going head-to-head in direct competition. Oh, God, Michael Cole has infected me with it, too. Was this the match of the night for you? Mm, close, but no. Mm. Mm, what it held was, it back from it? Um, well, the match that came later uh, is what I'll say. <laughs> it was until we got to uh, two other matches that came later down the card. Look, you know, I'm very high on the Usos. It's very hard to describe them. And it's very hard to describe my journey to the loving the Usos over the last six to eight months because when they started this whole Usos penitentiary heel turn thing, I was not, I, I wasn't with it. And I just didn't, I didn't get it. Didn't, because they've been in the, this face tag team doing the, the hakas and all of that stuff for, and I love that shit. But this, <laughs> it, it took me a long time to come around on. So now we get to this. And the the irony of this is I'm way higher on the Usos than I am on the bar. Which I know is you're ironic because the, the bar the bar are awesome. Yeah, they are. They're fine. And but the, and I, but I'm also getting really like the Usos are getting really over with yes. me too. Uh, I've actually I dug their new heel personas from the start. We can, we've actually we were, we've been recording podcasts long enough. We can go back to their heel turn and check our podcast and our initial reactions to it. Then um, I've been digging the Usos since then, but they've only been getting better and better at this. They've actually had almost a similar trajectory with me as they seem to be having with the audience and with the storyline as well, where they're getting so over that they're pretty much turning them face. They're not full faces yet, but they seem like they're turning them pretty face and they're doing some some kind of more facey moves in the ring and playing the crowd more. Uh, they were definitely the faces in this match. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Uh, and, you know, I, I'm I'm digging it. I dig them as kind of the arrogant hockey mean faces more than I do like like you said the haka like brightly colored high kids faces that they were before which face bored, painted bored me to tears <laughs> to tears oh every time they came out I wanted to claw my eyes out I was a sucker for it oh of course you were but uh, but here's the thing one thing I want to say real quick about this match I thought that overall it was a great match obviously both teams great workers 
I felt like the way that the rhythm of the match went back and forth, like who had the momentum going and like, you know, who was getting hot at what time. Sheamus and Cesaro had their finishing sequence and then they couldn't get the pin. And then the Usos had the comeback. And it, to me, just telegraphed too much the finish. Yeah. Um, that being said, when the finish actually did happen and the Usos won, it was in such a cool way that I still didn't mind. I didn't mind having the one Uso in the corner and the other guy comes running, like came at a weird angle running at him, flies over the top, tags him, tags him as he's flying through the air. And then you're like, where is he going as he's flying over the top rope at the camera? Camera turns to the side to follow his trajectory and he comes down and hits Cesaro on the outside of the ring who you had no idea was there trying to get the other Uso. And then the Uso that gets tagged in comes in and beats Sheamus. It was a it was a great sequence, big very finish. surprising, big finish. They haven't done that move since they were faces with the pa- the face paint and the brightly colored blah blah blah. Yeah. So they haven't used it in a while, and it was a great move. It's good to see it again. Very exciting, uh, a great finish to the match. I I going into this, there was no way in hell, no way that I saw the bar going over the uh, the Usos. No chance match. in hell. No chance in hell. And funny enough, I picked the Usos, but you picked the bar. So I did. Oh, uh, okay. So we have our. Oh, we have to talk about the previous match too. We didn't call those out. So I picked, or you picked Baron Corbin. I picked the Miz. So we're still even at this point because I got Usos and you got Corbin. Yep, and we both picked the uh, we we both picked the Raw for the women's match as well. Oh, yes. But uh, but yeah, I let my I let my markery of the bar get the better of me <laughs> on the Usos bar match. I'll openly admit it. Uh, but speaking of marking out, uh, we got to talk about Charlotte's match with Alexa Bliss, which happened after this uh, champion versus champion, and it was basically you know in some ways I would say kind of who's the top woman in WWE. Right. At this point, Alexa Bliss has had both championships. She's been on top for a lo- like almost since she got called up. Yep. Uh, and Charlotte obviously also has been on top for a long time. This was kind of the the match that would tell us, okay, who who do they like more? And unsurprisingly, to me at least, yeah. they went with Charlotte. Well, the funny thing, when this match first got started, it was very clear just a difference in size and stature of these two women. And I thought that was going to play into the match as well. Um, and, uh, you know, Alexa, good for her taking advantage uh, or, or finding a way to get the, the very tall Charlotte down started taking out. Was it knees that it, she, she kept getting at her knee? Well, here was the here was the weird thing. I felt like uh, at one point I, I, I got a little worried. I couldn't tell if it was really, really good selling, uh, almost too much selling. Yeah. But um, Alexa slingshotted Charlotte off of the bottom buckle. Yeah. And it looked like Charlotte was knocked silly for a good five minutes. Uh, Alexa was kind of feeding her moves. The ref was down by her talking to her through stuff a lot for the next few minutes. It looked like Charlotte legit got bonked around a little bit in there. So I couldn't tell if that was just overselling, but it felt to me like Charlotte kind of got, may may have taken a hit a little bit too hard Mm. there. Um, But that would have been also why Alexa was keeping things grounded for a while as well. Uh, But aside from that, you know, once Charlotte kind of got her head back around her, she came back uh, into the match and it got really gritty and lots of nice, you know, tight, tight moves, a little bit of brutality. Um, and at the end, Charlotte, you know, fights back and gives gives her classic, you know, you'll never beat me through gritted teeth and then big boots the crap out of Alexa and wins it. Um, again, the only thing that concerned me about the match was if she wasn't, if her bell wasn't legitimately rung by that bottom buckle, then she was overselling way too much, and the match suffered for it. Yeah. If she was legitimately bonked around, then man, kudos to her for working through it because she, 
She looked like her eyes were crossed for a, a few a few minutes there. Yeah, but ultimately, you know, Charlotte does what she does. She gets into that bridged figure eight, and you know, Alexa taps out. So yeah, you know, that was another thing with the psychology of the match. And it's this is a nitpick. You know, it's something that bugs me as kind of an, an older school wrestling guy. Is I like it when the psychology of the match works. And, and maybe it was because Charlotte got bonked that this didn't happen. But she didn't really work Alexa Bliss, Bliss's legs at all. And so you get her in the figure eight, and immediately she taps. It's like, well. Mm. Some people, you know, claw away from it. Well, I don't know. I like to see people work the legs before they put on a submission move. Right. As opposed to having a submission move that just, you know, takes you right out on a limb that hasn't been worked at all. So well, I'd say it's more often that that it doesn't get worked and they just submit. But know? that's my problem. As I, I think, understand. I, I, where's my psychology? Where's my psychology? Damn it. You kids and your non-psychology matches. Get off my lawn. Uh, all right. So we're going to move on now to what I thought was my match of the night, and that was Brock Lesnar versus AJ Styles. The two top men facing off fairly fresh, I guess you could say. We we all know AJ Styles is the best thing in wrestling right now, as far as I'm concerned. In WWE. It, in, oh, sure. Fair. That's a fair qualifier. But... Facing off against Brock Lesnar with the storyline in the world of kayfabe, you never know what's going to happen. And man, I got to tell you, about two thirds, the first third of this match, I was just like, oh, great. It's, well, it looked like a squash again. They're going to have him destroy AJ just like they did Cena. But then AJ came back and started getting a hold of him and got him into that calf crusher. And I was like, oh, wait, are. are they really going to do this? Are they, are they going to put AJ over Brock? You know, it was interesting because. Uh, we were saying that there's no way that Brock is losing this. And the plot of the whole show, one thing that was rammed down our throats for the last few weeks was that this was the show where Raw and SmackDown went head-to-head in direct competition all night throughout the show. We had a little ticker on the bottom showing us how many matches that Raw had won, showing us how many matches that SmackDown had won. And here we get to this match, and Raw, to win, needs to win two matches in a row. Yep. So off the bat, you know that for Raw to win, to have a tie in the final match of the night, Brock has to beat AJ. So right there, it's telegraphing that Raw is going to that Brock's going to win. Yep. As we all suspected that he would. Sure. So it's an extra kind of you know extra weight on this match to know that okay, well not only do we assume the fix is in, but now it really looks like the fix is in to get the story of the night. Uh, and you know to counterpoint that. I don't know how they would have moved things around to make it different. You know, this is the this is the titles, the two guys who hold the titles. Like, where else would you put it? But right behind the main event of Survivor Series, the Survivor Series match. Right? Would you have put so much after this? Because that wouldn't have made sense. Because this is the titles. Um, could you have had other people win or lose? Like, it's it's tough to say. Like, I don't know. I think they booked themselves into a corner on this one. To be fair, but even with that, even with those plot points weighing down this match and, and making you feel like Brock's going to destroy AJ. They made uh, damn it. AJ is so freaking good. He did for a couple of minutes in this match. Have me going. Oh shit. Is he actually going to, are they going to actually let AJ beat Brock? They, you know what? Kudos to him. He did it. He made me think for a half second in a situation where I would never have thought ever have thought. He could beat Brock. He made me think he might. And the finish was exactly what we thought it was going to be. Flying forearm in, caught into an F5. Boom. One, two, three, done. Typical Brock finish. Yep. But the build to it was done so well. 
And like you said, to start it off as a squash and then have AJ fight back as they as they promoted it to be like a rocky fight, you know, yep. where he fights back against incredible odds and still loses but looks good in defeat. That's what they gave us. Yes. And not because of any kind of special moves or spots or anything like that, but because of what you just described. That's why this is my match of the night. AJ Styles basically made this match of the night for me, taking that almost act two of that match. Sure. And making us both kind of believe that. It's it's one of the things that they tell wrestlers where they say, you know, don't ever fight down to someone else's lower level. Try to elevate who you're working with. Yeah. And if someone else has holes in their game, try to cover those holes. Yeah. If Brock doesn't like to work long matches, if he doesn't like to do a whole lot of stuff in the ring, then you need to be the person who's bouncing around and doing everything and let him step up to your level. And it felt like that's what was ha- Brock was ha- doing with AJ. Yeah. Was AJ was giving him opportunities and Brock was taking them. Like, uh, for instance, as you said, he got put in the calf crusher. He put Brock in the calf crusher, and Brock was selling his ass off for AJ. He was turning about three different shades of red and white. Sure. It, re- <laughs> it reminded me of, of uh, when he was against Samoa Joe, and Samoa kept putting on the, the coquina clutch, and, and Brock would sell the shit out of the coquina clutch. Like, he will sell for you. But then the way that Brock came back, wraps his arm around AJ's neck and bounces his head off the canvas a few times viciously. Yes. Looked great. You know what I mean? And that's something where AJ put his body out there to put Brock over as well. And they worked really well together. Uh, this, Yeah, this match definitely outperformed my expectations because I was dreading this match, thinking it was just going to be another one of the Brock Lesnar matches that we've seen all year. And it shows how you can have a Brock Lesnar match where you have the other guy look like they're going to get over and then Brock comes back suddenly, boom, one, two, three, done and have it be entertaining. This is the same style of match you saw with, with Samoa Joe, the same style of match you saw with Braun Strowman. Yep. It just it was better paced, it was better produced, and frankly, I think it just proves once again why AJ Styles is the man. Totally. This is totally a testament to uh, to AJ Styles, um, more so than Brock or any of his pre- other previous opponents. The, and the stark difference of the quality of the match and the performance uh, is really what made this my match of the night. Sure. Basically. I mean, they had to build Samoa Joe back up a bit after his match with Brock. They had to build Braun Strowman back up. They're still trying to build up Braun Strowman by putting him against Kane and everybody and making him look like a monster. I think he's safe by now. Yeah, but well, easily. It's because <laughs> it's Braun. It's Braun. Yeah. But, you know, it's one of those things where AJ coming out of this match, I don't think it took anything away from him. Nope. So. And I, you know, there was a part of me that was going to go, is is Brock going to go over there and, like, shake his hand or do something that he's never done before? He did have sense? that look in his eye, didn't he? He looked as he, he was limping away. And, and was limping away from that cap crush, cap crusher, calf crusher still. Was, and it looked like he was going to go back for was a Was that second. a legit leg? I mean, Brock is really good at selling. Yeah. I, I, will, I will give him full props. He is legit good at selling, but the way his leg buckled when he caught AJ uh, for the F5 at the very end, it did look like he might have actually jacked his knee a little bit. I couldn't tell. That's the thing with Brock. I can't tell with that dude. He might have actually legit tweaked his knee. Obviously, he's going to be off for two or three months, you know, off in the, of the course. in a cabin in the woods in Canada, wherever the hell he is. So he'll be fine, but, you know, he doesn't have to worry about <laughs> working all week with a bum leg like the rest of the guys, but... Still, no, props to him for that, for that sell, too. I mean, he looked worse for wear coming out of this. AJ, you know, looked like he'd been beat up, but Brock was the one limping away. Yep. <sighs> Is it time? Okay. Now that we're past AJ and Brock, declared it to be my match of the night. I don't know if it's yours. We also have to say that we did both choose Brock, so wash on those Because we're not points. idiots. <laughs> right. <laughs> Even though they almost got us thinking otherwise during the match. Right. 
And we did both pick the uh, Raw women to uh, to win that match. We now have to talk about the men's traditional elimination Survivor Series match, the men's five-way. Oh, boy. Here we uh, go. Because there is a lot of story. There is a lot that surrounds this match. There's a lot of build from the outcome that I can only guess is going to affect Raw and SmackDown going forward for the next foreseeable future. It's the only thing that I can assume. Here's the thing. The only way that the finish to this match will be acceptable to me is if it is laying the plot for the TV to come over the next few months. Yeah, That's the only way it will be acceptable to me because otherwise it is just another example of Triple H and the McMahons inserting themselves into their own company and making themselves look more important and giving themselves more time than the people that they employ for millions of dollars a year. Well, let's let's put this in context real quick. We know we have Royal Rumble the last week of January, which is now two months away, and we've got Clash of Champions on the SmackDown side, SmackDown brand, uh, in uh, two weeks, I believe. So do we have another Raw pay-per-view before we get to Royal Rumble? I don't believe so. I, I think Royal Rumble was supposed to be a raw pay-per-view, but it's, I mean, it's I don't be one of the big four though. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, it's, it's still questionable what's going to happen there. I can't imagine that we're going to have a Royal Rumble for the chance for the Universal Championship because I can't imagine that Roman Reigns is going to win another Royal Rumble. Ugh. The place might burn. So, <clears throat> but okay, so let's get in. Let's get into this. Yeah, match. I, just, I wanted to make that point because I th- just to kind of back up exactly what you were saying. We don't have a lot of pay per views to set up for between now and Royal Rumble two months from now. We've got eight weeks outside of Clash of Champions to really build for what's going to go down at Royal Rumble. And I think you're exactly right. The outcome of this match and all of the side shoot stories that came out of uh, out of it are building for. What's getting ready to happen? Well, well, we'll talk about that a little bit later. Let's let's talk about this match okay. first and foremost. Let's let's before we get into the finish, which is going to be a topic of discussion. Let's talk about the stuff that happens early. Go for it. First of all, everyone gets their own entrance, so just the entrances to this match take longer than most of the other matches on the card. <laughs> but you know, but for, Triple H's entrance alone was like the length of an entire pay per view. Yes. <laughs> so all the all the guys come out. Everyone's wearing the colors of their respective brand. Not, wait, no, Except not for John Cena, who, even though we know he has a freaking blue shirt in his repertoire of merch, comes out wearing neon green. What? what? Is he because he's the free agent? I, I, maybe he's the wild card or he just gives that little of a shit. Yeah, that he just is like, yeah, I'm here. What do you want? And he, it was very weird to I mean, even Shinsuke Nakamura was wearing blue. You know, the the man who always wears red, he was wearing blue. It was insane. So that was one thing that stood out was John Cena just not giving two shits and wearing his green. Uh, Here's the thing. The first half of this match, I thought, was fantastic. Me too. I had not sat down and thought about the possible combinations of the people on these two teams getting in the ring and staring each other down and and having physicality. when Finn Balor and Nakamura got in the ring together, first of all, I got goosebumps. And second of all, I went, why didn't I think about this being a possibility? This is nuts. Yes. The guy who started Chaos and the guy who started Bullet Club are in the ring together. Wow. Uh, what? And apparently the audience knew kind of because they started chanting NXT. <laughs> I'm like, Wait, no, not NXT before that, guys. Thank God. And then they started chanting NJPW. New Japan, and I was, I was, I felt a lot better. Yes. Okay. There are some smarks in there. <laughs> but the other one that stood out for me was when Angle and Cena got in the ring together. 
uh, as a yeah. throwback to the 2003 the, the Cena's, Cena's debut. Yep, Cena's debut, and, and it was at Survivor Series, if right. I remember correctly. Yeah, right? and the commentary the, the commentary did call that out. They, did they? Okay, they tried to dance their way around Finn and Nakamura's history a little bit, but they definitely they called that right out when Cena and, and uh, Angle got in the ring together. Also, you know, Nakamura and Triple H, Triple H and Bobby Roode. Uh, you know, Joe and uh, who was it that Joe was in there with that I was really excited about? Uh, it might have been Joe Nakamura. You know, I mean, there's a, there was a bunch of combinations that I was sitting there going, oh, this is so cool. Oh, this is so cool. Oh, this is so cool. And then everything breaks down. Nakamura kills everyone on Raw except for Braun. Who does uh, two quick eliminations with his running power slams. And he, I love the way he he pinned him and looked right at the other, other corner across the ring while yeah, he, he was would. doing it. Oh, Braun. And it had me going. I was like, yep, this is what I wanted. Braun killing everybody. Yes. Yeah, except that the first two people he killed were Nakamura and Bobby Roode, who did get some shine, and they both took some finishers to to go out. Like They they kept a little bit of respectability, and obviously they're trying to make Braun look like the ultimate monster. It was still a little, a little disappointing, but it is what it is. Fine. It's a Survivor Series. People are going to get eliminated. I'm cool with that. I like the fact that once SmackDown went down by two, then Raw started having some infighting. Joe and Finn, their little issues started boiling over. Yep. Triple H and Angle, like they, everyone started kind of getting beef with each other. Uh, and then Joe got eliminated. Uh, Angle eliminated Cena. Cena didn't do a damn thing. No, he match. didn't. Like he literally feels like he felt like an afterthought, which was bizarre. Because such a big deal was made about it, about the fact that he had joined the SmackDown team. Right. So and then he really had nothing to do. I mean, it made Angle look great because he put Cena out. You know, whatever it's been, seventeen, fifteen years 15 since he years, fifteen yeah. years since he first put him out out to pasture <laughs> in that first match. But uh, it was a nice call back to that. Um, and let's see. Uh, Try to remember what else happened. Uh, Finn, I think I remember Finn drop kicking Shane like a beast. Yeah. At one point, um, and then he gets RKO'd. Randy beats him, which. Keeps Finn looking pretty strong. It's Randy Orton, right? He's yeah. a legend. He can he can take out Finn. That's fine. But so now here we here we go. So Finn takes out Finn gets taken out by Randy. Triple H is in with Randy. I'm getting flashbacks to 2007. I feel old. And all of a sudden, Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens come out of the back, and they pull Shane off the ring uh, off the ring and uh, try to mug him. He gets a chair, and I didn't like this, but he chased them off with a chair. That kind of makes Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn look like idiots. Also, Kevin Owens took an RKO on the way out for his trouble. Yeah. Which distracted Randy Orton long enough to get pinned, and now he's out, and now Shane's alone. Yes. Against Braun, Triple H, and Kurt Angle. Yeah. Whoa. That was, I, was, I was looking across the ring going, Shane, all right. But this is the part, and, and this is when the whole thing started to get overbooked. This is when everything started to go off the rails. And I, I, I really do point at when Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn came out. I wasn't happy with the order in which people got eliminated. I felt like a lot of the up-and-coming stars got taken out yep. too quickly. And at the end, what did we say? We got two old guys, Braun Strowman and a McMahon, left at the end of it. You know, so now we're gonna now this is when we get back to kind of the the meat of what we were discussing. We wanted to we, this is the part we want to discuss about this match. Yes. Here we are in the finish of this match, and we're back to McMahon Helmsley drama with Braun Strowman, the kind of new up-and-coming monster. And Kurt Angle, who has been drawn into the McMahon-Helmsley drama by being the GM of Raw, right? So now here's the storyline that we're given. Um, there's lots of aspects that frustrate me about this. Uh, part of it, just from the SmackDown side alone, 
You've got Shane McMahon who, you know, attacks Raw, uh, puts himself in a position where he's the aggressor. He's saying that all of his guys on SmackDown are the A brand. They're not going to take this crap from Raw. Well, here he is because of his decisions. He's now alone. All of the wrestlers that he had on his team have been eliminated, and he's alone in this ring. To that, to that matter as well, one of the wrestlers he had was a part-timer that he poached from, you know, who could have easily gone to Raw, and that's John Cena. And he was useless. So it, it does make him look like a really weak, ineffectual leader. So that whole plot on the SmackDown side was lame. I came at it from a different angle. This was Shane McMahon on top of Hell in a Cell jumping off again. And he, just to make himself be bigger than the actual thing that was going on. Putting himself in a position to uh, be up against three of the bigger guys. His old rival, his brother-in-law, and... Braun Strowman, who yeah, needs but, no but the problem is, is this this just proves Ke- uh, Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn's point. Their totally, whole, their whole heel angle is about how he's a megalomaniac and puts himself above the wrestlers. He's just proven them right. Yeah. You know, it, it's hard to make them not feel sympathetic in that situation, even though they're acting like heels and trying to mug him. <laughs> you know, if this was Stone Cold and, and Mr. McMahon, you know, and, they, and you tweak Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn, they have a they have a right to come out. And act heelish towards their dick boss. Yep. Frankly. But anyway, that's that's my little beef with that aspect of the storyline. So Shane gets back in. Uh, he faces off against Angle. Gets put in, a, in an ankle lock for an eternity and doesn't tap out. And Kurt doesn't break his ankle, which make, makes Kurt look weak. And it makes Shane look ridiculously strong. Like like more than Shawn Michaels strong. Uh, and then Triple H finally gets sick of Shane not tapping and Kurt not being able to break his ankle. He gets in there. Pedigree's Kurt uh, lays Shane on top of him. Kurt gets eliminated. I know Triple H is sitting there with Shane and Braun Strowman staring at him like he's doing complex mathematics, trying to figure out what the hell is going on. I will. I was sitting there doing the exact same thing. My mouth agape, going, uh, "What's happening? I don't understand what's happening right now. Is he going to basically two on one Braun so that Shane can win to get revenge on?" I I just couldn't. It it doesn't. So you had compute. the you had the brawn face going. on. I had brawn face going the, on, and yeah. I just all I wanted brawn to do was get in there and just murder both of them, and and kind of ultimately what we got, but not not without a little bit of drama before we got there. Yeah, it reminded me of that scene in The Hangover where they're doing the math the, the mathematics at the at the gambling table. Yeah. He's just kind of staring. It's like all the stuff going through his brain, uh, and sure enough, Triple H, you know, is kind of jaw jacking at him, and and then he pedigrees Shane. Beats him, and Braun's still staring at Triple H like, the hell is going on? Uh, Triple H pulls him in. He's like, yeah, big boy, come on, celebrate with me. This is great. And then this is the, this is the one aspect of the finish that I did like, was that uh, at a certain point, Braun had enough of Triple H's shenaniganry, and he grabbed him by the throat, pushed him down into the buckle, and Triple H was staring up at him. <laughs> One of the greatest Triple H faces I've ever seen in my life. His eyes were bulging out of his head. He looked absolutely terrified. And if nothing else, I am so glad that Triple H sold that hard for Braun Strowman because that was an amazing moment. Even though he did get up right. Braun screaming at him, hey, don't play that shit with me. Don't try to game me. If you ever do that again, I will murder you. I'll murder you. (laughs) Which you can't really say. It's PG, Braun. Yes. So then then, Braun tries to rock, walk away. Triple H gets up, tries to attack him. Eats two power slams for his trouble. <laughs> Braun stands tall and walks away. Ripped his raw shirt off as well, yes, which I thought did. was some interesting, interesting potential foreshadowing there. But 
That said, uh, two of my favorite things happened in this pay-per-view. We saw Asuka murder, or out of the elimination matches, we saw Asuka murder and get really over uh, everybody else there, and we saw on the closing credits, Braun Strowman walking out of the five-man. And those, to me, above and beyond anything else, were the two things I wanted to see happen coming out of Survivor Series. Okay, but here's the thing. Step back from your Braun Markery for a second and just understand that the finish of this Survivor Series match was once again Triple H inserting himself into a match at the last second and not bringing out his sledgehammer, but bringing out his shovel. You had guys who should be the biggest deal on the show, people who are there week in and week out, who should have been in the finish. And Braun being the one person is understandable, but he doesn't need that much shine. Other people do. If you want to create superstars that are going to make you money, having Triple H be one of the last guys there and have him have that much time and that much shine and look that good for that long, even aside, Braun choking him out, fine. He can look weak for a second against Braun. It's Braun. But having him have that time as opposed to someone else who you should be building up so that in the future, they can be someone like Triple H and come back and you know be a big deal that will sell tickets. That's what drives me nuts about this. And, it's, and to your point, it's not just him. It's also Shane McMahon and Kurt Angle. Three, sure. three members of management, not wrestling superstars. Not constant superstars who are there week in and week out yes. and selling tickets and putting butts in seats. If you have these people coming back here and there, here's the thing. Kurt, you know what... Honestly, he didn't look that great in this match. He looked a little slow, a little yeah. sluggish, a little stiff. One of his legs was really heavily bandaged. That might have been something going on there. I don't know. The bottom line is, is these guys can't wrestle at the level the other guys can. They're there for nostalgia and for, oh, remember, remember, remember berries? That's all they're there for. And to have them be the center of the plot is frustrating. Because it, it just relegates everyone else back down to the mid card and it makes us feel, it makes the average person watching feel like everyone else is less important. Yeah. You're not building for a future by bringing out the old Triple H shovel and burying everybody else and having you be the guy who's involved in all the stuff in the finish and outsmarting Shane McMahon. In a, in a matter of a all week. The, and outsmarting Angle and all the, yeah, in the matter of a week, just inserting yourself and being like, okay, hold on, y'all. If you want to make this match be big, you put me in and have me in the finish. You know what I mean? Like, why Why did he have to be in the finish? You know, that you bring John Cena back for nothing. Nothing. You All these other guys that were supposedly Triple H's boys coming out of NXT, Bobby Roode, Nakamura, Finn Balor, Samoa, Samoa Joe, all these guys are supposedly Triple H's guys. Wouldn't you think that he would want to, at some point, build at least one of them to be a future superstar? Yeah. Like, the, the, the next legend, instead of reestablishing one more time that... Triple H is the man, and everyone has to play second fiddle to him. And I, you know, I, I all respect to Triple H. NXT is a fantastic product. I do think that when Triple H does inevitably take over the company, he'll do a better job than a lot of the crazy decisions that Vince makes. But this is definitely him and Stephanie. You know, as we said earlier, with Stephanie putting herself over on the on the on the women's locker room, and just in general on Raw the last couple of weeks. Uh, Triple H, I have less beef with because he does let himself look vulnerable like he did with Braun. Yeah. Um, and even though he he pulled this off, you know, I feel like he presents himself as a more vulnerable character uh, and he's a more interesting character than Stephanie McMahon, who's very one note and very, uh, very grating. Um, but it does frustrate me from a 
booking standpoint to have whenever Triple H is involved, it's all about him. Yeah. You know, at least Randy Orton has the decency to take a pin every once in a while. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. So looking forward with this outcome, all of the things that happened, what's what's in your mind, where is this leading? Looking ahead to Royal Rumble, looking ahead to WrestleMania, does this have implications on matches and feuds and title challenges to come? Well, here's the thing. I think that the the end of this match and the overbooking and the having the Triple H uh, be the center of it and him and Angle being the center of it in a lot of ways, uh, Shane, I think, is going to be an afterthought. I think that that whole plot will resolve itself on SmackDown. I hope, I think the only way that I can really accept this finish is if this is an ongoing plot, if this is setting up Kurt Angle versus Triple H, which is, I think, in the works for, but here's a problem. It's been in the works for WrestleMania. That's six months away. That's basically the time that they took them to get uh, Seth Rollins and Triple H set up last year. And that drug on for way too long. And it had Seth getting injured in the part of it, like legit injured. And he couldn't work some of that angle. Yeah. Are they going to be able to drag out Kurt Angle versus Triple H for six months, given that they just had Triple H pedigree angle on Survivor Series? That's a long time to build this. So I don't know. I Fingers crossed. But that's the only way that this the end of this match will be acceptable to me in any way it feels regurgitated with what they did with sting two or three years ago it, it just it was Dear just god ugh. I, you know he wasn't at the top of his game anymore either and it just it, i feel like that is one of the most egregious shovel jobs i've seen yeah. in a long time it, and i was at that wrestlemania you were and the audience was pissed that sting lost that one that was the one time you could have shown a little bit of freaking humility and let's just let Sting have that one freaking moment. Nope. Nope. Got to be Triple H going over Sting. Got to show that the NWO is not as good as D-Generation X, which I'm sorry, but there's no metric in which that is not a complete lie. <laughs> okay. <laughs> NWO revolutionized the wrestling industry. D-Generation X was a high school sophomore's wet dream of what wrestling should be. Yes. Yeah. Uh, whole other topic of discussion <laughs> that could overall, be a bonus episode okay overall did we like this show as a whole what did I we think loved of this? this show as really a whole. i absolutely loved this show as i mean putting the pre-show stuff aside which i had to go back and watch later because i tuned in too late um it's look we uh, we came within a half a point like I picked Raw, you picked SmackDown Live to close things out, and you had your plus point five that well, you we'll threw get into in. the pickums i want to talk I, about like i, I what, know what but you I'm just the saying, show i I loved this show. I loved it from start to finish. I there wasn't there weren't many missteps in this for me from a booking standpoint. There weren't a lot of dull moments. I I was in very sports entertained for four straight hours. See, I also I was very entertained, but I thought some of the matches were a little underwhelming. Uh, and I, you know, I can I can take it on the chin and admit it might have been my expectations being too high for some of these matches after a month of build. After, but that's part of the yeah. problem. It was there was so much build that, and then so much chaos in the last couple of weeks that it made me salivate for some of these matches more than I perhaps should have. And I think really taking a step back in this pay-per-view, I, I can't give it higher than like a 6 or 7 out of 10, even though I it was definitely better than a lot of pay-per-views this year. It kept me consistently entertained. There was no real stinker in the entire show. Nothing stunk. Um, but there was a lot of matches that I felt could have been better and a lot of aspects of it that I thought could have been better just from a mental standpoint, sitting back and thinking about it from a, from a remove, like an arbitrary remove and yeah. saying, oh, 
you know what? If I'm going to really think about where this stands in all-time great pay-per-views, it really ain't that high. Um, but it was it was entertaining. And something that I actually, when it started off, and I saw that there were five commentators, you had the two guys from Raw, two guys from SmackDown, and Corey Graves, who's on both shows, all sitting at a desk. I just, I was, oh God, this is going to be dreadful. That Actually, that was one of my favorite aspects of the show was all these five guys having fun together. Because yeah. by the way, the commentary on WWE has been fantastic. Fantastic for the last couple of months. Ever since they got rid of JBL, and you've had uh, on SmackDown, you've had uh, Byron Saxton, Corey Graves, and Tom Phillips. And on Raw, you've had Booker T, who by the way has been hilarious, consistently insane. I think Corey makes him hilarious. I would absolutely agree. Their, yeah. their charisma together, their chemistry is, is fantastic. Because, I hated him before Corey showed up. Right. Like he, well, he was always kind of lost in the wilderness. No one knew what to do with him. Yeah. And I think Corey knows what to do with him and what, like, how to make him even more entertaining. All five of them together was, to quote Bobby Roode, Glorious! Well, I, I agree. I really enjoyed it, the dynamic of it. And it was funny to me because, if I'm not mistaken, there were a few moments where Tom Phillips was stepping on and or stealing lines that either Michael Cole was cued to say or that he would normally say, he would, Tom Phillips would jump in and throw those lines in there. And I was sitting there going, hmm, I wonder if that's Phillips just stepping up or just to kind of elbow Cole a little bit or if that was all kind of planned, planned and fun. Out. Hey, yeah. all I know is it was less Michael Cole. Like yes. five, five people means a percentage less of Michael Cole. And I was fine with that. So really quickly, let's run down our pickums. Right. Um, we kind of we kind of noted them as we went through the show here. But just to recap, you and I both picked Enzo to go over. We were right. You and I both picked the Shield to go over. We were right. I picked Corbin. You picked Miz. So I was right on that one. Uh, you picked the Usos. I picked the Bar. I'm a Bar Mark, and I'm an idiot. So you got that one. Still tied still, at this point. Uh, still tied. Uh, I picked Charlotte, and you picked Alexa. So I went I went up by one there. Yep. Uh, we both picked Brock because Brock. Uh, and then we both picked Raw to win the women's five-way. But here you picked Raw to win the men's five-way. Yep. So we end up tied. Because Braun. Because Braun. Uh, but I did have the .5 point caveat where I said Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn were going to come out and interfere in the main match. And they did. Team Ian wins again. By .5 of a point. Your boy Dangerous takes the match. Well, everybody knows I should have won that fair and square, but you, just like Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn, had to sneak one in and do some shady shit, but this wasn't the only thing that went down this weekend. The night prior, we had NXT TakeOver War Games. Well, there's no cure for success like my success that I just had on Survivor Series, and you know what? This was a really successful pay-per-view as well. It wasn't the most classic takeover we've ever seen, but it had a lot of good matches. And one match in particular, I would have to argue, was the match of the weekend. Oh, okay. But before we get to that match, we have to talk about the first match of the night, which was Lars Sullivan versus Cassius Ono. Which we had seen the weekend prior when we went to the house show in Riverside. So there was a little bit of maybe foreshadowing of what was going to happen there. And I got to say, it kind of went down... Pretty Almost much exactly the same, way. the same way. It felt a little bit more worked. Like there was some more stuff going on than what we shot, what we saw in the house show. But at the same kind of finish, same kind of thing. Lars had trouble getting Ono up in his Uranagi slam thing that he does this time. Yeah, uh, I, I did notice that was a little botched. But other than that, it was it still looked devastating. 
Ono sold it really well, and you know the match finished the same way. I, I got to say, Lars Sullivan, much like Braun Strowman, is on a warpath right now of of greatness. And if they keep this going with these two guys, it's inevitable, in my opinion, that they do get a face-off at some point. And I, I, I know I've been saying it for a couple of months, and you laugh at me, but I would not be surprised if his music kicked and he came walked down the ramp for Royal Rumble uh, at the end of January. I think they have too much to do with him still before we get to Royal Rumble, but you never know with these yeah. call-ups. They could happen at any time. Uh, that being said, yeah, this was pretty much a standard match. I felt the audience was a little bit dead, uh, during this match, which was surprising to me because I thought both these guys would get a, would get a bigger reaction. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't until later after the show that I realized, you know what, these aren't... Th- what we saw was the first match was not the first match that the audience saw. Oh, really? They saw a couple of matches before that, one of them which was Johnny Gargano versus uh, Pete Dunne for the UK Championship. And now we haven't seen that yet, but... I can only assume it was a barn burner from what I'm hearing from people who were there that it was another great match as we assumed it would be. And for this to follow that, it seems like a slower paced match and probably the audience was just coming down from that match because this was a fine match. It was, it, was a, it was kind of a squash. Lars kind of squashed Cassius, which yeah. we kind of suspected it would be sure. um, based on what we had seen and also just <laughs> logic. But uh, yeah, no, this was... It was a fine match. The audience just wasn't as into it as they probably could have been or should have been. But yeah, it was what it was. Lars is on a warpath, and I don't see him coming out of Royal Rumble. I see him being the the Braun Strowman of NXT for a while longer. Hmm, okay. He might. Well, you know what? He, you know what? Let me actually speculate real quick. Okay. If he gets called up, I bet it's going to be during the Honor the Giant Battle Royale at WrestleMania. That's my pick. That's my call. Huh, That's okay. when I'm saying he's going to he's going to come up, kind of like Kelly and Dane did last year. Yeah. You know, just. One up just to check him out, see what he's like, and I could see that happening. Yeah. Sure. So let's let's move on and talk about the next match. Mm. Let's get a drum roll here. Mm. Alistair Black versus Velveteen Dream. This, this was one of those matches for me, right up there with AJ and Brock uh, for match of the weekend. Just yeah, this was easily far and away, without a doubt, my match of the weekend. <laughs> uh, Partly because of just how good the match itself was, yeah. just in terms of the technical stuff that was going on. Uh, you had everything from high spots. You had uh, you know, aerial moves. You had mat work. You had crazy moves that I hadn't seen before. Alistair Black's swinging DDT thing that he does. Uh, first of all, uh, sorry, uh, Velveteen Dreams. Did I say the Velveteen Dream? Velveteen Dreams swinging DDT thing that he did to Alistair Black, which Alistair Black sold like death. And, and beautifully, I might add, just great stuff all around. But that's just the meat of the match. Everything else around this was beautiful as well. Velveteen Dream coming out in the old school Rick Rude airbrushed tights with his face on one side of his leg and Alistair Black's on the other side was great. And say my name uh, right above right above his crotch, airbrushed on. Yep. Fantastic. His physicality, his character how into his character he was like that. He's ready to go. And by the end of this match, you had the entire audience chanting, say his name. They were on Velveteen got himself over in this match more than he ever could have. We haven't seen him on a pay-per-view. This is his first pay-per-view. And also it's one of his first real full matches. That boy is ready to go. He's only been wrestling for three years. Yeah, two things to call out. One, he's 22 years old. Oh, two, he was. Is ki- he only 22? Yes, he was kicked off of Tough Enough. I know he was kicked off of Tough Enough. Right. Uh, uh, I remember him as Patrick. Yes, <laughs> but <laughs> so I, the sky's the limit for this holy kid. Holy crap! He's so athletic. 
And also, Alistair Black was a great person to have him play off of. Uh, you know, I they have such different just... When they first lined these two up, I said, okay, this is interesting. This could go either way. There either could be no chemistry between these two very opposite characters, or this could be magic. It was magic. This was fantastic, wildly entertaining, well-worked. Congratulations to both guys. Amazing match. Well, is this considered a blow-off? Is this feud done? Do you think we're going to see any more of these guys? I mean, where does each of them go from here? Who do they feud with next, if not each other? I have no idea. I can't imagine that they'd continue this feud because at the end of this match, Alistair did. You know, Alistair won. Uh, Velveteen's lying in the ring. Alistair sits next to him and looks over him and says, Welcome to Infamy, Infamy, Velveteen Dream. Says his name. Audience goes wild. To me, that's the end of the feud. Yeah. Cool. Move them on. Find someone else. I don't know who they would both go and feud with. Um, There's definitely some speculation that we can bring up based on some outcomes later on the card, which we'll get into. But I think this feud should be done. It was as satisfying as you could get. One match. Boom. Done. Good. Well, moving on, we head over to the women's division for the fatal four-way to determine the new women's champion after the championship was vacated by Asuka as uh, she was called up. Yeah, so another match we saw at the NXT that we went to over in Riverside. Do you think this was better than the match that we saw? Which is, It was almost the same match. It was almost the same match. I did recall a couple of choice spots in the match of things that happened, but it was a better match in my opinion. I felt like it was, and maybe that was the perspective of sitting in the audience versus seeing it overhead with the cameras and everything. I don't really know. But I, I enjoyed this more than I did the house show one. I think this one had a little bit more fire, a little more pep. Yeah. Uh, they definitely, it felt like maybe it was better rehearsed. They'd worked it a few times, so they knew what was going on a little better. Um, it, it was almost the same match. The one big difference, this match went about a minute and a half longer. And and the person that we saw win, which now we can say was Peyton Royce. We right. saw Peyton Royce win. Uh, the spot where she won in the match that we saw was broken up in this match. And it continued until Ember Moon hit the eclipse on Nikki Cross. Boom, she's your new champion. Ember Moon, and Asuka was there to present it to her as well, which was a nice touch, I thought. That was a nice moment considering their feud previously and, and all of that. They hugged I, it out. It was a little sport. You love sportsmanship. I love sportsmanship. It was fantastic. Uh, I, don't, I still don't know if this was the right move. Really? I don't know if this was the right move because I think there was a time before Ember Moon got injured, that she was primed. And I think that there's been too much time lapsed. She hasn't, I mean, having the matches with Asuka earlier this year, fine. But I feel like the other ladies have come, Nikki Cross especially, Peyton Royce especially, have had some comeuppance over the last two to three months that make it more viable contenders for that championship. I didn't see, I feel like this was a luck thing. She hit the... He hit the eclipse and it was viewed that way. Otherwise, it should have been Peyton or Nikki, in my opinion. But that being said, you know, the other people in this match can say, oh, it was a luck thing going forward and you can have feuds for the title sure. going forward. Sure. Um, I, I think that Ember was not my first choice for the championship either. I think for very similar reasons. I think that she had her time when she was hot. We're a little past that now. Yeah. I think that she needs to get some luster back. And I think having some good matches with the title will help with that. Um, I don't think that she is in the most ideal place to take this right now. But that being said, I can also find reasons for the other women in the in the in the match to not have it as well. Sure, I don't think Kyrie should have taken it. No. Uh, Nikki, I, I think mm, with with the tag championships being on the members of Sanity right now, I think that might have been too much gold in one place. 
Uh, I can see why you wouldn't want Peyton to take it right now. Uh, you can have arguments against everyone in this match, but you can also have arguments for everyone in this match getting the title. Uh, I think it is what it is. We'll have to see what they do with her going forward. Uh, as it is, you know what? It was an exciting finish. It was a nice way to end it with Asuka giving her the title and calling back to their feud. And Asuka kind of putting her over a little bit and saying, okay, if there, if there was someone who wanted, I wanted to get the title, it'd be this woman. She's the rightful heir, long live Ember Moon sort of, of way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So at the end of the day, not mad at it. Yeah. Well, we move over to the men's championship match. Cian Almas versus Drew McIntyre. And fa- frankly, this feud kind of came out of nowhere over the last few weeks. And it has built up really nicely with the help of Selena Vega. And I, wow, I did not expect what happened? Well, here's the thing. I'm going to actually run a counterpoint. This did not, for me, build up over a couple of weeks. This has been going for a long time. This is actually more the story of Andrade Cien Almas and how he has gone from being someone who was kind of misbooked and, and his character was off with the hat and the, and the, and the suspenders when he first came into NXT um, and the whole angle where he was, quote, partying too much and lost his way and was losing matches. Sure. Whether that was a worked shoot or, or whatever it was, you know, whether he that was really what was going on and he had to kind of find his way and they kind of had to restructure him and help him find his focus or whether that was just all their way of kind of figuring out how to find him again. Uh, and it was all in storyline. I don't know, but this is the story of him having a resurgence, finding Selena Vega, finding his mouthpiece, who, by the way, is probably the best manager that we've seen in years. Yeah. She's fantastic. And she brings so much to him, to his character and to his cachet. Uh, and his journey to get back to this championship and fight Drew McIntyre, who arguably is a very legitimate looking champ uh, on paper. I don't think that his run is very memorable yet. He hasn't had any classic match. He's had good matches. He hasn't had any memorable matches like, like all time memorable matches. We'll think back in his Roddy strong match. And we'll think back on a couple of his other matches and say they were good, but nothing that's definitive. And we both were saying after seeing him live that he is definitely he he's a great look for the champion of NXT face of the company kind face of, of the guy. company yeah. kind of thing, and we were both shocked in this match when the Andrade Cien Almas story came to its conclusion and he won the championship from Drew McIntyre in uh, frankly another fantastic match. This was a great match, and I wonder if. I, I, we now know that Drew is injured. We, he's torn a bicep or something. On the, has to on have the surgery. finish of the match, he did an, they did an elevated DDT from the turnbuckle, and Drew kind of just didn't release his arm in time, and he tore his bicep coming down. I wonder if there was damage there already done, and this was you know it needed he needed to go have surgery, and this was a way to hand it off gracefully. I don't believe that, but there's part of me, my skeptical internal memory does that. See, my 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 take on it was that they had plans for Drew McIntyre elsewhere. Either they were going to have them continue this feud to the next takeover, and then Drew was going to get called up or go somewhere else, or this was going to be it, and they were going to take Drew somewhere else right now because it didn't make sense to take the title off of him so quickly Agreed. otherwise. Um, but I don't think this was an injury angle because you can definitely see his arm doing something weird when he comes down there. And, you know, if it was something where he had previously injured the arm, then that definitely way worse than whatever it was. I think that was just one incident at the end of this match that injured him. And it could actually really screw up whatever plans they had for him and possibly for Cien Almas. 
what we were saying earlier on talking about takeover is, you know, what does Velveteen Dream do now? What does Alistair Black do now? Well, what does CN Almas do now? You would have assumed that Drew would be fighting upwards for the title to get it back, but he's out now. He's injured. Who knows how long? We haven't heard how bad his injury is. So who comes for the title now? Alistair Black. Is it Alistair Black's time? I, I think he's he's probably arguably the most over superstar in NXT, uh, in the men's division especially. Easily. Uh, so I think it makes a lot of sense. Also, seeing all, I could see Aleister Black coming in and working. You could have either of these guys work face or heel. Either way, you spin it because of how over Aleister Black is right now. But seeing almost is a, is a, is a cut, and, cut and dyed heel right sure, now. Sure, sure. Even though he was getting cheered like a mofro from this audience. And that's what I'm talking about. So you, they're both on that... Depending on the storyline and how you spin it, you could really do that. But I, I think he goes into storyline uh, over the next month with with Alistair Black. Personally, I think one of the reasons he was getting cheered was because they were in Texas. They were they were in Houston, which is uh, you know yeah, what I mean. I didn't it's, think about that. It's a it's a large Latino population. A lot of people who've come from Mexico who remember him as La Sombra in Mexico and probably have some history with him and are excited to see him do well. I can't imagine that. I mean, that, that had to have been the largest contingent there that were chanting "Si se puede." While he was in this match, you know that that had to have been why he was so over with this crowd. I don't think that will translate to other crowds because he is such a heel in other places. Mm. The problem with Alistair Black coming in as the as the guy who's going to face him, Alistair Black undefeated. Are you going to have Cien have a short reign, shorter than Drew McIntyre's? Are you going to then have Lars Sullivan challenge him for the same reason? No, they have to have someone that he can defeat. Perhaps Velveteen Dream. Maybe that that would be the. But then you, I mean, because Velveteen did kind of get a little bit of. Face stuff going on with his match. I don't know. Do you turn him face and have him be kind of the 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 tweener face that the that he's he's a dick to people, but the audience loves him? I don't know. You know what I don't I'm know who they're going to do again. Roddy Strong, Roderick Strong, yeah, who can't afford another championship loss. And here's the thing: I think they should keep with the plan, which is Roderick Strong uh, facing off against Adam Cole. Yes, and Adam Cole shouldn't go for the championship yet either because he can't he can't win either yet. Uh, you got to have him build towards because, you know, you can't have Cien almost lose to him. He's got to win when he goes for it. So I, I don't know who comes for Cien next or, or if he just holds it until Drew's better and he doesn't take any challengers. I don't know. Well, since you mentioned Adam Cole, we need to head over and talk about the War Games match that went oh, on. Yes, we do. Uh, the amount of build over the last month or so that has has been going on for this kind of match. It, it it digs into the nostalgia. It takes me back to my childhood roots of getting into wrestling. All kinds of, of feels were, were brought into this. And the teams that were put in there made the setup for a really, really good, hard-hitting, ugly, nasty War Games match. Good God. I, I was not ready for the level of chaos that was in this match. Well, and apparently now there was the camera crew. Well, they weren't, and uh, I don't think anybody was until Killian Dane walked down and just started throwing everything he could get his hands on into it, locking the cage with a large chain and a padlock, and then swallowing the key. This was an issue I had is after the match, how did they get out? Yeah. <laughs> they just wait for Killian Dane right. to take a dump, and they then he walk th- him around on a leash and go, okay, go potty. <laughs> All right, go potty. Come on, buddy. <laughs> Oh, he's got enough hair to be a dog. But here's the thing. So, yeah, that, that was definitely... There's so many moments in this match. There's so many uh, just incredible performances in this match that it's hard to narrow them down. It's hard to to just talk about one or two of them. You had so many... You know, Killian Dane going coast to coast. You had a bunch of incredible superplexes and, and uh, double power bombs. You had uh, Wolf going through the table and getting busted open and, and 
bleeding Big everywhere. Time busted open. Holy crap! Bust like almost stopped the match. Busted open. Uh, busted wide open, if you will. Hey, uh, we all. You also had the superplex off the very top of the cage. Uh, Adam Cole suplex. Uh, uh, Roger Strong. Strong. Yeah. Off the top, AOP looking like monsters. Uh, Undisputed Era kicking the crap out of everybody. This was just nonstop excitement the entire time. Not a lot of... I mean, here's actually the thing. I was about to say not a lot of plot, but the plot that they were trying to throw in there got to shine. The the, the plot that they, they had in there, the Roderick Strong versus Adam Cole angle, still got enough time that we knew that was the main storyline here. Yeah. And it was it was all really well done. And let's not let's not you know say, let, let think too nostalgically about war games. There's been a couple of good war games matches. There's been a lot of bad war games matches. Sure, I agree with that. You know, and and part of that, I think that they fixed some of the dynamics with this with this one with some of the new rules and taking the top off the cage. Frankly, I was one of the people that I thought taking the top off was a great idea. You know what I mean? Because you, some of these moves, you couldn't have a ceiling on for. Right. You know what and, I mean? And, and it kept the guys from doing the typical spots where they crawl up on top of the cage and risking injury and that kind of stuff. So I, I, I the things I loved about this match, AOP looked like beasts. Uh, you mentioned uh, Wolf getting his head busted open. That was a great suplex through the double tables. Fantastic. And then at the end of the match, he was actually laying under the ropes at the edge of one of the rings, and I actually thought he was out. I thought he, until he started squirming a little bit, I, I thought he was just not stopping the match, but just getting out of getting the way. Getting out of the way. <laughs> because was- you could see that the camera panned over a couple of times to the ring on the right where the tables were after the fact, and there was probably a gallon of blood all uh, in a giant pool. Oh, it easily on top covered of that. one and a half tables. Oh, my God. And then him laying there in that one spot. I mean, that dude's going to get some stitches. He's going to get some staples. I mean, I can't wait to see if, if he shows up on NXT this week to see if, you know, it, holy smokes. Um, Killing Dane bringing all the implements in. They got used very heavily. We saw the coast to coast stuff, like you mentioned. Uh, the, the suplex spot was great. Uh, the finish. Was not what I expected, but I'm very, very happy with. Yeah, me too. I liked it a lot. Adam Cole doing a shining wizard through a chair on Eric Young. One, two, three. Undisputed Era pick up the win, which I thought they needed. I thought they needed to establish themselves as the new dominant stable in the company in NXT. This was the way to do it with a statement win over two of the biggest groups in NXT, the monsters and AOP, and then this, the, you know, the chaotic madness of the tag champs with sanity. Well, wrapping things up here, final thoughts, uh, overall NXT takeover war games, Houston, whatever order you say them in, what did you think of the, the show as a whole? You know, I thought I'd had some, a couple of really, really bright spots. And then some things that were average to good. I, I was not as blown away. Takeovers have, a history of being such incredible shows. I will say this. It was a better overall quality show than Survivor Series, which was a little bit more scattershot and letting me down on a couple of matches. Uh, But overall, yeah, not as good as some takeovers I've seen. The Aleister Black Velveteen Dream match was fantastic. War Games was fantastic. Cien Almas and Drew McIntyre put on a killer match. And to be fair, even the women's match, I think I would have been more excited had I not already seen it. That's good. Um, Good point. You know what I mean? So that, that was probably... Even better had I been surprised by it. Um, so overall, yeah, good show. The only thing I have to say is, from top to bottom, the worst thing was the camera. I don't know who was directing this show. I don't know who was back in the truck, in the booth, 
Colin, where the cameras should be, where they should cut to, but they were not, and when they should cut, but they were botching their job right and left. It, this was one of the worst shot WWE shows in that I can recall. And I don't think it was Kevin Dunn, because if there's one thing that's true about Kevin Dunn, he's consistently mediocre. <laughs> okay. You know what that's I mean? Fair. And whoever was doing this was just mess. I don't know if it was their first time doing it. I don't know if it was if Road Dog was back on the crack back there and calling it. I don't know what it was, but it was... Uh, and even their setup plans with the cameras, like having the guy in the middle of the War Games ring on the kind of the, the middle aisle the, the between the two rings. It was just the one. It was just the one guy in the ring. You didn't have a boom cam to be able to get into the ring from the top. They just didn't have any good shots set up. And the guy in there was running into the wrestlers. It was just, it was poorly planned. It was poorly shot, poorly directed. My only big complaint about the show. Yeah, I, I agree with you on the women's match as well. I hate that I had seen that because instead of enjoying the match, I was waiting for the spots that we had already seen to come up and happen and take place and ultimately leading to Peyton Royce just to, to get the pin. But I'm glad they swerved us. I'm glad they did a little bit more. That said, that was the only one I was down on. Uh, me, of course, I'm a mark for Lars Sullivan, so I enjoyed that. I thought the Drew McIntyre and Cian Almas match almost stole the night. But you can't look down on Aleister Black and Velveteen Dream. That was just way too good. And seeing War Games again with all the nostalgia wrapped around it and those three teams, those nine guys and going crazy and some of the antics that Dane got up to, just fantastic night. I agree with you. I enjoyed this more than Survivor Series. But at the same time, it was less of it, and we kind of it's easier to plan stuff like that than it is and they definitely something had a lot that's across longer. two brands. Oh, of course. They had a lot absolutely. longer to plan it, too. So uh, we have to go through our pickums because yep. this was another close one. So another close uh, run one, them yeah. down for us. Uh, so we both picked Lars Sullivan to win. Duh. Uh, duh. Uh, so the women's match, we were both wrong. You picked Nikki Cross, and I went with the girl that we saw win in the match that we saw, which is Peyton Royce. I thought that was a, the right choice, and they were just rehearsing that. Uh, we both picked Alistair Black to win. So at this point, we're we're tied up two and two. We both picked Drew to win. Boy, are we wrong on that. So it almost was a total surprise to me and to you. We did not see that coming at all. So tied 2-2 going into the War Games match. You picked Sanity. I picked Undisputed Era. Once again, your boy Dangerous picks up the win. Oh, yeah, baby. This is becoming a running theme, you It guys. can't be so wrong to be this right. Well, look, if anything came out of this weekend of wrestling, it is Holy shit, I think we might already be on the road to WrestleMania as I'm going to start saying that two months early before we ever get to Royal Rumble because a lot of the plot and storyline and things that happened at both Survivor Series and TakeOver were already being set in motion. And I can see a lot of this stuff playing out over the next couple of months before we ever actually get to the road to WrestleMania. Well, may I actually say something that uh, you might not like? Uh, I'm actually going to say that we started on, on the road to WrestleMania at last WrestleMania when Brock Lesnar won the Universal Championship and the road was set for Roman Reigns, Brock Lesnar this year. I think we've been building the entire time. That's why Brock's been running through everybody. I still think it's going to be Cena. Oh, my God. I can't wait to prove you wrong. I still think again, it's going to be Cena. Again. Well, let's look at what we got coming up. Is Kurt going to retaliate against Triple H? Uh, what will Shane and SmackDown Live do next? Uh, What's KO and Sammy going to do? How are they going to fit into all uh, of this? Uh, uh, Braun, is he going to eat anybody like a Thanksgiving turkey on Monday Night Raw? <laughs> You know what? Come listen to our Raw and SmackDown live show later this week. We're going to put that out, and we're going to co we're going to cover all of Raw and SmackDown. What the fallout is from this pay per view, all of the exciting developments. Just come and check us out uh, later on this week.
Well, guys, you can check out this episode and many, many more over at orbitaljigsaw.com, our home network. You can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash open. Head on over, join the discussion group, post a meme, have a good time. We'll talk about some news. You can also find us over on Twitter at BWO Podcast, live tweeting the shows every week and every pay-per-view as they come out. So be sure and follow us over there. You head over to patreon.com slash BWO, throw a couple of bucks in the tip jar, sign up to do your very own shoot promo here on the show with myself and Sir Ian Dangerous. And last but certainly not least, orbitaljigsaw.com slash store. Pick up a hot t-shirt, a hoodie, maybe a phone case, coffee mugs, all kinds of good stuff over there. Sexy tank tops. Yeah. Just saying. Sexy also, you can top. check us out. If you're checking us out on iTunes right now, make sure to hit that subscribe button. Leave us a review. Leave us a five stars. Whatever you feel like, let us know what you think of the show. Let us know what you think we could do better. Let us know what you think that you want to hear on our show. We'll be happy to try and fit it in any way we can. But I'm Nick Howell. You can find me over on Twitter at Data Center Dude. And I am Sir Ian Dangerous. You can find me on Twitter at... Sir Ian Dangerous. But by God, would somebody stop the damn match? This show is part of the Orbital Jigsaw Network. For more episodes, subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher Radio. For details and show notes from each episode, check us out, orbitaljigsaw.com.